everyone and welcome back to the Capella podcast. This week we have Dr. Liz Donner on. She is a pediatric hospital medicine doctor coming to us from Orlando, Florida. As a specialty trained hospitalist, she devotes 100% of her clinical time to taking care of children that are admitted to the hospital. And she takes care of them from the time that they are admitted in the emergency room up until the time they are discharged to go home. She did her fellowship training through Baylor in Texas and graduated residency from the University of Florida. She is the rising program director for the upcoming fellowship program at Nemers Children's Hospital in Central Florida. Today, she'll be talking about common viral illnesses in childhood. This podcast episode was filmed and is available on our YouTube channel. And now let's get on with the interview. Today we're uh, joined by Dr. Liz Donner. Uh, hi, Liz. How are you doing? Thank you so much for joining. Doing well. Thank you for having me. You are the first doctor that we have on the show. And so I've got a ton of questions to ask you. But first, I'd love to give you some time to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about what you're doing, even on top of being a doctor and some, some background. Sure. So I am a pediatric hospitalist, which means that um, I trained in pediatrics and went to residency for that. But then in addition, I did an extra two-year fellowship on hospital medicine. So now um, my primary role is working in the hospital So from the time a child gets admitted from the emergency room and has to come stay in the hospital, uh, I resume care and care for them until they're ready to go home. Uh, and I just, I find it so gratifying because kids, they, they come in really sick, but they are so resilient and they bounce back. And oftentimes, you know, within a day or two, they're ready to go home and they're back to bouncing around the room. So it's, it's one of the most gratifying things that I, I think you can see as a doctor. Uh, and then in my kind of spare time outside of the hospital walls, I, I do run a, a Facebook platform. It's called My Friend the Pediatrician. And it was designed to essentially boil down evidence-based medicine into a practical format that parents and caregivers can use. And the overarching goal is to keep kids healthy and keep them out of the hospital. So that's kind of how I maintain my primary care skills and kind of connect with um, all sorts of people around the country and even the world. And when did you start, uh, my friend, the pediatrician? How many years ago? That was launched in 2018. So it's been mm -hmm. over four years now. Okay. And it's been a good, a great success. So congratulations on that. So first of all, could you tell us what exactly a virus is? Yes. So viral illnesses are one of my favorite topics because they're poorly understood, but it really boils down to some simple facts. So a virus is, it's like a type of germ, um, but it's a microscopic, tiny little particle that causes infections. So it's very basic. It's like one little molecule surrounded by a protein capsule, and it relies on other living things to replicate. So it can infect everything from humans to animals to plants, and it spreads by invading the host cells. Mm -hmm. um, and so Why is it important to distinguish a viral or infection or virus from a bacterial infection? Yes, I love this question. 
The reason it matters is because when you think of a bacterial illness, like your standard ear infection, strep throat, urinary tract infection, um, anything caused by an actual bacteria is, is going to require often than not uh, the use of antibiotics to treat it. The antibiotics go in and they're effective against bacteria. With viral infections, however, like um, your common cold, flu, COVID, RSV, antibiotics do not work against those illnesses. And I think that's a really common misconception that as soon as your child comes down with fever, flu-like symptoms, cold-like symptoms, a lot of parents rush into medical care because they're under the impression that their child needs antibiotics or steroids or breathing treatments when that's really not the case. In fact, antibiotics have a ton of side effects and kind of wipe out your gut bacteria. So we we hate to use them unless absolutely necessary. In fact, the more we use them as a, as a whole, the less effective they become over time and the bacteria develop resistance. So I, I love educating on this topic um, just to kind of get some of those misconceptions um, out of the air. Yes, yes, that's very important. And I just, I'm thinking, can you maybe quantify of the children you see or, you know, if your child is sick, What's the likelihood that it's a bacteria versus a virus? Uh, you probably don't have an actual number, but like how often do these two illnesses come up? I don't have an actual number offhand, but I'm willing to bet that um, over 90% of those acute clinic visits, visits to the emergency room um, for some of the symptoms I was describing are viral. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, we, there are studies to show that over half of the antibiotics that pediatricians prescribe are unnecessary um, because they're actually, they have a viral illness um, and they didn't, they never needed the antibiotics to begin with. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So that means that there's a lot of, uh, yeah, medicine, antibacterial medicine that's given yeah. just for no reason. Um, so what do COVID, RSV and the flu have in common? Um, and why has there been an apparent surge over the past few months of all these illnesses combined? Yeah, so all three of those are viral illnesses. So they're caused by a virus, like I was describing. Um, and we started hearing about a surge of sorts back in October. Um, and there's been questions, you know, why are all three of these viruses kind of hitting at the same time? And um, what people suggest happened was that you know, starting um, in the beginning of 2020 with the COVID lockdown, quarantine, shutting down of schools, people were sheltered from those typical, you know, yearly viral illnesses. Um, they were wearing masks, so the spread of germs in general was decreased. Uh, they were staying home from work, staying home from school. And so for the first you know, any child born in that 2020 era, they, they may not have been exposed to any viral illnesses for the first two years of their life, which is not typical for, for a child. Typically, as soon as a child goes to daycare or preschool, or is it just around other kids, they start catching these viruses and building up their immune system. And that's normal, that's healthy. But when, you know, when we shelter the children away from the viruses, um, that can't happen. So they go back out into society and they are exposed. Um, so masking and sheltering, quarantining, it, it is very effective against um, stopping the rapid spread of a new epidemic virus like COVID. But it also shelters us from just the normal bugs that we would typically get spaced out over the mm -hmm. course of yeah so these kids basically since they've never been exposed they haven't really um you know 
kind of made the, made their body used to or have their body be used to viruses or different types of illnesses. So exactly. less resistant, basically. Yeah, their immune systems haven't had the opportunity to build the antibodies yet. So can COVID, RSV, and the flu be treated from home? Yes, it definitely can. Um, so like I was saying, these viral illnesses, they don't require antibiotics or any specific treatment. Um, so they can be handled from home. I'd say the biggest symptoms, are, of course, are going to be nasal congestion, cough, sore throat. Um, and these are all things that there are home remedies. So take a baby, for example. They, they breathe through their nose. So when they get congested, they're fussy. They may not want to eat. They may not be able to sleep very well. So it's really important to simply keep their nasal passages is clear of all that mucus. So you can run to your local uh, Walgreens, CVS, Target, wherever, buy some nasal saline drops, and you just um, put several drops into each nair, kind of let it sit there for a second. And then you can use just one of those, those little suction bulbs that they give you in the nursery to plug one nostril, you let out the air, insert it gently into the nair and release, and that will in theory, suck the snot out. And there's a lot of devices on the market that are electronic or even powered by your own mouth, which sounds gross, but there's a little filter in there. It's the nose free I recommend it often. But these devices help to just get that mucus out so they can breathe. Other things like a cool mist um, humidifier or a standard vaporizer that, you know, lets off steam next to the baby's crib or their, um, their bed that will help moisten the air, loosen up some of that congestion, help loosen up the phlegm so they can cough it out. For, for cough, you know, um, that often, that gets the parents' attention. It's often what they'll bring the child in for is cough and congestion. Um, we don't want to use cough medications in children less than six years of age. They've just been shown ineffective. Um, but what you can do after the age of one is use like half a teaspoon of honey, for instance. And in fact, once a child reaches about six years of age, you can use a full teaspoon of honey and that will kind of soothe the throat. And it's been shown to help a little bit with, with cough. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is like a, the, like a Vicks vapor rub to the chest or even just like outside of the nares that can kind of help open up the nasal passages as well. That's very interesting. And one question I was just thinking about when you were telling us about all of these different symptoms is um, if you have a child or a baby that's, you know, has a cough, has a fever, has some symptoms, what is the best course of action from home? And when should you start being worried to the point of where you have to call a doctor or go to the ER or take kind of the next step? Um, yeah, how, how do you differentiate between, you know, this is normal, it's gonna, it's gonna fade away or um, this is too much and we need to get help outside? Yes, excellent question. I, I would be amiss if I didn't say that hydration is so key. So. From the moment your child starts acting sick, just start kind of pushing the fluids, giving small amounts very frequently, um, and give them whatever they're willing to drink as long as it's age appropriate. It can be formula, milk, water, Pedialyte, sports drinks, whatever they're willing to take. Um, the goal is to just keep them hydrated because dehydration is one of the number one reasons for admission during these viral illnesses is because the child just doesn't feel like eating. They don't feel like drinking. It's actually fine if they don't want to eat for several days. That does freak parents out sometimes, but it's fine. They just have to stay hydrated. The goal is so that they're urinating at least once every eight hours or so. 
Um, and then the other thing you want to watch for is their overall work of breathing or their respiratory status. So it's okay to cough. It's okay to be congested. It's okay to sneeze, but it's not okay um, if your child is working hard to breathe. So we call that respiratory distress when they're like sucking in between the ribs, flaring their little tiny nostrils, bobbing their head, breathing really fast, really hard. Um, just not your typical breathing. That's That would be an indication to take them in right away because they may need breathing treatment. They may need, may need oxygen, things like that. Um, so I would say dehydration and respiratory distress are the biggest things to look out for and to bring your child in for. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I will say, it, I have to talk about fever too. Um, that's another reason that parents will bring in their children, of course, is for fever. Uh, this is actually the body's natural way of fighting off any infection. The, the core temperature rises and that allows the immune system to kind of come in and attack the germ. However, uh, for babies less than about three months of age, two, three months of age is kind of our cutoff. When they're younger than that, they are at a higher risk of serious infection. Um, and so those babies do deserve to be checked out by a physician, even on day one of fever, especially if they're just not looking well. Um, they, they should be checked out in a physical exam, maybe have some test run just to make sure that it's not something more serious. Um, same goes for children with really chronic medical conditions like um, underlying cancer diagnosis, sickle cell disease, serious heart disease, chronic lung disease. So children that are already a little bit more at risk to begin with, they should also be brought to medical attention early on in the course of illness just to make sure everything's okay. No, that definitely makes sense. Um, what would you say is the percentage of um, more serious cases? Um, is it likely that you're going to have to go to the ER or is it just super rare uh, if your child is coming down with a virus? Right. Well, I'll put it this way. The average child gets roughly, and this is pre-COVID data, the average child who's attending daycare or pre-K gets nine viral illnesses a year. And most mm -hmm. children never see a hospital. Um, some don't even ever see the emergency room. So um, the, the amount of children being brought into the emergency room is kind of dependent on the, the parental experience and their comfort level when it comes to taking home, taking care of the child from home. What do you do as a doctor to reassure the parents when they come in with a sick child? I guess a lot of the work is also just educating parents, reassuring them. I'm really interested in knowing kind of how that works um, and how parents react generally. Yes, um, it's very hit or miss. Uh, some are very relieved to hear that their child has all the symptoms consistent with a viral illness and they don't need any medication. They just need to go home and rest and drink fluids. Some parents are relieved and they, they thank you. They ask appropriate questions. Some parents are frustrated because they want a quick fix. And that's why they brought their child to the mm -hmm. to medical care is because they want it. They want an antibiotic. They want a breathing treatment. They want something to fix their child when the reality is that the body has to do all of the hard work. So mm -hmm. I, I see it on both ends of the spectrum. I think the key is listening to their concerns, doing a thorough history, a thorough exam and saying, this is what we're dealing with. Let's, let's focus on all the positives here. We're still urinating well, we're breathing nice and easy, still playful at times. Um, and as long as the child isn't dehydrated in respiratory distress or looking really ill, they, they are safe to go home. Um, mm -hmm. and 
and get some rest. So mm-hmm. parents break the news, it's it's hard to say, but when you're patient, you listen to them and you explain, you know, this is what's going on and these are the return precautions. Like this is when you would need to come back X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. usually goes over pretty well. Yeah, it's very interesting to kind of talk about the parent side of things. I was one day talking to a neonatologist and he told me that 95% of his job is taking care of parents and not taking care of the actual babies. So it's always very interesting to um, understand how parents react um, and all of that. Um, So now that we've kind of talked about the surge and the symptoms and what we can do when there's a cough, when there's a fever, uh, when there's respiratory distress and all of that, um, could you talk a little bit more about what we can do to prevent the spread of viral infections and especially in the case of having three viral in- infections that are um, kind of massive at the same time. Uh, what's the best thing for us to do? Um, maybe are there a couple of things for us to do? Um, right. So yeah. The most basic advice I can give is, you probably already know what I'm about to say, it's frequent mm-hmm. hand washing, either with warm soap and water or alcohol-based hand sanitizer. So anytime you're out and about, after touching things, especially out in public, after using the bathroom, of course, prior to eating, after eating, just as often as you feasibly can, um, because our hands are the biggest vector of spreading germs, right? Because um, all you have to do is touch a handle that someone else had touched with their runny nose fingers, and then you rub your eye, you rub your nose, you eat a, you eat something and you touch your food. That's that's all it takes to pass a virus along. Mm-hmm. So keeping your hands clean, try try to avoid touching your face whenever possible. It's tough with babies, of course, but whenever possible, avoid touching your face. And then um, teaching children to cough or sneeze into a tissue or their sleeve rather than out into the air because those tiny particles, they can spread across mm-hmm. their top of the room. So um, just teaching them at an early age to kind of use their cough uh, etiquette, so to speak, um, can really go a long way. Mm-hmm. And then just, just staying healthy, like, you know, getting um, adequate rest, nutrition, exercise when you can, um, and then staying home when you're sick so that you don't spread your germs to everyone else. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm very interested in, so babies or children are um, more susceptible to getting sick than adults. Uh, you kind of mentioned they have nine viral infections a year but they're also more resilient than adults. So they probably kind of get back to, to, to feeling good way quicker than adults. Um, so I'm interested in knowing how viral infections in children, how they differentiate from viral infections in adults. And if they're, I mean, if, if it's really the same, but on a tiny body, or if there are any big differences that uh, we should be aware of um, as adults. Right. So the biggest difference to explain um, that, that, that variation you see between children and adults is the, the exposure to that to that given virus in the past. So the reason that I hardly ever get sick and that when I do get sick, it's a very minor illness is because I've been exposed to everything. Um, so my first couple years of you know med school and residency, I was extremely sick. Um, Uh, very often, just like a new baby in daycare, because I was just Mm -hmm. around all of these viruses for for the first time in many years. Um, And but once I built up that immunity, and I have all those antibodies in my body, I hardly ever get sick anymore. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what children are going through their their body is learning these 
viruses for the first time. And that's why it kind of take, takes them out mm-hmm. quick, but they're healthy, you know, deep down they're healthy and resilient. So they, they do fight it off relatively quickly. Yeah. Versus adults that might have like a way harder time to get back to, um, to fight it off completely. Um, okay. So if you have a sick child at home, when is a reasonable um, time to return to school or daycare or to just get out of the house again? Right. A general rule of thumb is you want the child to be fever free for at least 24 hours without relying on, you know, fever reducing medications like Tylenol and Motrin. So if they're able to kind of get over that initial hump, not they're no longer having fevers and they're able to just kind of um, participate like they normally would. Um, that's usually a good indication that they're ready to go back to daycare or school. Um, there's some other, every, every daycare is allowed to have their own policy and their own rules, but other things, um, you know, if they're vomiting throughout the day, um, abnormally vomiting or having diarrhea that's spilling out of the diaper, you know, uh, it's kind of getting out into the open where it could infect other kids. Those would be two other indications that they should probably stay home until their GI tract has mm-hmm. a little bit of time to heal you just mentioned Tylenol and there's different types of medicine. Uh, What is safe for a child? What's the dosage that is safe for a baby or a child, depending on like the age range. Um, I think that a lot of people sometimes ask themselves if they can get like, if they can give their child this medication or not. Um, And so I think it would be great to kind of have a quick review of all the different types of medications that exist and you can give your child uh, at home and what the correct uh, dosage would be. Yeah, that is a question I could probably lecture on for hours, but I'm going to boil <laughs> it down to the, the most high yield points here. So, um, so when it comes to fever control, I'm a fan of like letting the fever kind of ride out and do its job unless your child is uncomfortable. So if they're so uncomfortable that they won't eat, they won't drink, they won't even perk up at all, then it's probably time to treat that fever. Um, up until the age of six months, we don't use Motrin. Um, other, other names for Motrin are ibuprofen, uh, Advil, things like that, um, because the kidneys just aren't ready to handle it. But, but it is okay during that very young um, time frame to use Tylenol. And the dose is going to depend on your child's age or weight. Um, in the hospital, we use their exact weight to get the dosing perfect. But at home, we ask parents to rely on the back of the bottle where there's a table based on age or weight that tells you exactly how much to give. And so it's important mm-hmm. um, to follow that and also follow the dosing interval. So uh, Tylenol, you can give up to every four hours, but with Motrin or ibuprofen, you want to wait at least six hours between doses. And that's just because mm-hmm. of the way that the body handles the, the medication. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just really important to follow those directions based on your child's weight. So that, that, would, be, that would be fever control. Um, cough is another one where parents are like, what can I give my child? Like I was saying, less than six years of age, cough medicines have, um, they have ingredients um, like dextromethorphan, um, uh, Guifenesin. These are medications that not only have they proven ineffective in children that age, but they also have some side effects that can be serious. So that's why I really just advise um, the like the vaporizers, the humidifiers, and the honey after mm-hmm. a year of age. 
um, kind of more natural remedy. And after four years of age, you can do cough drops. Um, the reason we don't do it prior to four is because they're, they can be a choking hazard. But once your child's mm-hmm. four, four or five years old, able to handle things in their mouth like that, they can do a cough drop for their cough. Um, other medications that we commonly give are for like allergy symptoms. So things like Benadryl, Zyrtec, those both come in a liquid form and you can use them mm-hmm. um, very, pretty young. I, I, I want to say the bottle might advise around six months of age, but sometimes under your doctor's supervision, you can do it even younger than that. Okay. Thank you for this rundown. Um, that's definitely very interesting. I have one last question that I like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast. It's a very general question, but maybe you can tackle it from a doctor's perspective or point of view. Uh, but I love to kind of play the scenario where you have a brand new parent in front of you that just had their first baby and is kind of lost. Uh, are there two or three uh, major tips or pieces of advice that you would give them uh, that are very general because they could apply to any new parent? Um, that you think they should live by in the, in the first kind of couple of months or years um, yeah. of their life. Their One of the things that prompted me to start my own Facebook platform to educate parents was the fact that there is so much misinformation on the internet. You can Google something and get, you can pretty much find any answer that you're looking for um, based on which resources you select. So mm-hmm. my first piece of advice is learn Learn appropriate resources. So um, things that are put out by the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics or things that are vetted by large organizations, um, reliable websites. You know, if you come across something from um, Mayo, for example, or something from a the Children's Hospital of Colorado, some a reputable source is typically something you can trust. But if it's coming from like a blog um, or or like a Reddit column, Reddit, um, Instagram, you have to be so careful about what you, what you feed into because some of it is um, not only misleading but dangerous too. Um, so that's one of my goals on the internet is to like is to teach evidence-based medicine, right? So that would be number one. Number two, I think is just um, don't let anyone give you too too much of a hard time. When it comes to your own parenting style, there are a lot of outdated practices that our parents and, and our grandparents thought to be true and they were doing their best, but we know better. So one of my favorite sayings is know better, do better. You know, um, when it comes to seatbelt safety, um, things like um, swimming pool safety. I hate the, I hate the phrase like, well, we did X, Y, Z and we turned out just fine. That, that, that phrase bothers me so much because not everyone turned out fine. The people who didn't turn out fine aren't here to talk about it. And so taking new pieces of um, medically, you know, proven advice and incorporating it into your life and then not listening to the people who try to tell you you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a struggle for modern young parents, but it's, it's important. And I want them to feel empowered to stand by their decisions and raise their children in the way that they feel is right. Well, that, that were, these were amazing answers. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for taking this time out of your day. Thank you very much and uh, have a great rest of your day. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 